0: Welcome back to our podcast. We are joined this week by Fred coming off of very good reviews on our episode that we did last week on Wilder Fury. We're joined by Stu as well. Now, we have a little interesting dynamic. Tom's off having – he had a baby. His baby came two weeks early so we can see the very last broadcast of HBO. So he's not going to be on this week. I've got Stu. I've got Fred. Their knowledge – Doesn't overlap in many areas, but combine these two guys, and we have all of boxing covered. So let's start off with ESPN's card last night. Welcome back, guys. You can say hi. Hello. Hello. Tom speaks so so much that he needs
1: two people to replace him.
0: (laughs) Oh, we're off to a good start today. Uh, (laughs) Vasily Lomachenko on ESPN wins a unanimous decision over Jose Pedraza. Lomachenko dominant. Lost at most three or four rounds against Jose Pedraza, but ultimately nearly stopped him in the 11th round, um, dropped him twice. I want to start off by asking you, Fred, what was the story of the fight last night? We got to shout out Max Kellerman since he didn't get a chance to, you know, filibuster on the HBO broadcast due to whatever is going on with his throat. Uh, We'll get to that in a bit. But what was the story of the fight last night?
2: How am I supposed to know? I'm just sort of retarded for Max's stories of the fight. It was a fight. Loewen was coming off surgery. He was dicking around like he usually does when he's faced with someone who he doesn't feel really challenges him. And he was having fun.
0: I don't necessarily agree with that. I I think the story of the fight, and I'm going to get – so here's here's a problem that I think all three of us and probably you, listener, you're aware of is that if I don't say anything complimentary of Lomachenko right now, if I don't, you know, just go over the moon and gush about him the way ESPN and before them HBO did, I'm going to be seen as a hater. But I, I think realistically, the story of the fight last night was that we now see the ceiling for Lomachenko. Like, we thought we saw it with Linares, but I think now it's clear. And this isn't to say that Lomachenko's bad. It's not to say anything like that, but it's like, Okay, he's not that very, he's not big, and he's not a devastating puncher, okay? We saw the HBO highlight package. We saw some devastating punchers. That's not Lomachenko, and that's not even really his game. He doesn't, like, that's not what he's, he's not Deontay Wilder. He knows that he doesn't need to knock a guy senseless in order to win a fight. He can easily outbox basically just about anyone uh, in the weight classes that he fights in. But I think what we're seeing now is that lightweight, Lomachenko now sees that there's a limit. And while Jose Pedraza wasn't good, Jose Pedraza did give him some things that he had to think about. Now, he didn't have to think real hard, but he did have to think about it. And I think at lightweight, Lomachenko sees that he can't be so reckless. He can't just dive in there and and, and try to you know do what he did to Miguel Mariaga, where he's just screwing with the guy. But it's like, okay, he has to be cautious of return fire because he's now dealing with guys that, even if they're not that good, they're still dangerous because... They're bigger than him. Um, is do you think that's unfair to say? Uh no. I, but the thing is,
2: I, I know you've got a you you've got a hate on for Lomachenko, but I think that's in oh, reaction. Come on, to, I, do, I legitimately laid out a, a,
0: a, an argument that he's really good. Okay, but I'm not well, trying to hate no, him. I just see that I, there's now a limit to him.
2: Yeah, but I think you're reacting more to how people pump him up. Like I, I don't really get that like Lomachenko's a really good fighter he's got like really great skills but I've always thought that he's got a ceiling on him he's not Mayweather and I think a lot of people always want to I think people really should take a look at boxing and, and realize just how uh, unique Mayweather was but now they think that Mayweather's gone all these guys who are names just automatically fill Mayweather's shoes and they don't you know Lomachenko's a brilliant fighter I think he was uh uh I do think he was screwing around a lot, and he seems to do that with some fighters when he sort of instinctively knows that they can't really beat him. And like he, he, was, he was fighting off of course to Pedraza, like more than he really should have been. And it's sort of like he was sitting there saying, do something about it. And I think he, like he really enjoys uh sort of battle of wills more than even fighting. And to me, it seemed like a lot of his fights, his punch selection, he was just trying things. You know, maybe he was shaking out the shoulder, or maybe he's just. I don't know. He's not really up for the fight, but um, I don't know. like I said, I, I don't. I don't think he's some brilliant thing. in every like, I don't think he could take out Mikey. Mikey's too big for him. So that argument, I don't know. I know that's been a big push in the boxing world, but I just.
0: But why do you think not, people get so like positional about that when you say Mikey Garcia would beat Lomachenko? I have
2: no idea. Like I said, I can't understand half of what drives people in the boxing world. But I think it, it was such a reaction that they always thought Mayweather was somehow unfairly taking the spotlight. And he wasn't. And so now they think, oh, every, you know, I don't know. It's just it's just fandom they're trying to push up, you know. And they're trying to, like, will Lomachenko to be a lot better than he really is. Like, he's not going to come running up the welterweight or anything. Like, this is the size. And like you point out, he's running into guys where he, he he's having... Some issue there. Like he's not, you know. Like how, like how many times did you have to hit Pedraza, you know, last night? And then Pedraza was still hanging in there. Although I think he was a lot more defensive than like yeah, Gervonta fought him. You know, Pedraza was trying to like he thought he could take out Davis and Davis. Well, just,
0: I, yeah, I think some, I think the difference between the two of them because I, I noticed that was that Pedraza's goal in this fight was to last twelve rounds to not get beat essentially, whereas he legitimately thought that he was going to beat Davis and and those two different mindsets um led to completely different results in the two fights.
2: Yeah, cuz I even looked at back at that Davis fight just to remember it and he was he had his hands down almost the entire fight against Davis, And Davis was just openly smashing him in the face and you know it it was yeah, it was more I think this fight he was he was trying to last but like I said Lomachenko I I really like him but you're right. He he has a ceiling and I think you can you can see it. He's not going to go running up like he's uh, Manny Pacquiao or anything.
0: I mean, unless he, you know, uh, what did you call it last week? Um,
2: Skill boosters.
0: (laughs) Yeah, unless he had some skill boosters there. Yeah, I think, look, Lomachenko's a very slim guy, by the way. Um, You know, he's he's definitely at his limit. And it's not like a bad thing. I hope people don't see this as criticism. But I think lightweight, I, I can't see him going up past this. I mean, 147 was the limit for Manny Pacquiao. And while he won a, a a super welterweight title, technically that was like a hundred fifty pound catchweight, and you can see in that fight against Old Margarito, which he Pacquiao basically did everything he wanted, anything he wanted in that fight, it still was a limit for him. And I think it's important to know what those limits are because you know guys but jumping up in weight that could be the downfall for them. Um, so I'm guessing you were impressed with the win. I, I wasn't that impressed because um, I expected him to dominate him. Like coming into the fight, I, I thought Padraza had no chance against him. And while I was a little shocked that he had a, a couple spurts of success, um one of the interesting things about the fight was that Padraza was probably really close to winning maybe like five rounds. But it but he just didn't do enough like to actually take the round. Um But I I, I you know I expected Lomachego to just dominate him. And, uh, one of the things I got downvoted for saying on the sub, which I think is just stupid, is that Lomachenko's style that he fought with before this fight and before the Lenaris fight, that, that style is gone and you can hear it from his dad. His dad doesn't want him to fight that way because it's a lot of wasted, uh, movement, a lot of doing amateur stuff for the sake of doing amateur stuff. When you don't have to do that to win fights as a pro, um, you can, land three punches in a round and still win that round because of how impactful those shots are. And that's what we saw last night is that Lomachenko was trying to be a bit more, um, he's trying to put emphasis on what he's doing versus just win because he's throwing a bunch of punches and landing a bunch of punches, but not necessarily hurting his guy. Uh, that at least that's what impressed me about this is that Lomachenko is developing himself more into uh, a professional style fighter. What did what did you think? Were you that impressed, or were you impressed with Lomachenko's performance?
2: Uh, yeah. Like, uh, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. But I think you're hitting on some points there. He does, and we've seen this in his fights before. Like he was taken uh, when he got cut, I think two three fights ago, when he was just dicking around with a guy that he should have easily got out of there. There, there might Miguel be Marial something. Guy, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And there might be something going on there. Like it, it, it could be. You, you never know. It could be a thing that he might not be happy with the fights he's getting. And it might that he's just not really committed to them. Because, you know, we've seen that before where guys sort of fight down the opposition. Or, yeah. It, it just, it, I don't know. Like, it, there's just always something seemed off with him. Like, maybe he is having trouble handling the pro style or something. Or he just doesn't feel like these are the fights he should be getting. And he's just, like, not interested in them Because his talent's obviously there, you know. Like when he started getting going, like in some of those fights, he was throwing, he was hitting Pedraza from wherever he wanted. But there is, there there is that edge where he's not fighting smart. You know, he's he's not fighting like a like a professional would.
0: Um, I, do you think that Lomachenko was letting himself get hit in the fight so that he can entice other guys to take the fight, like Golovkin <laughs> used to do?
2: <laughs> yeah, but no, no one wants to get hit. You know, and if you're getting hit. It, it's, you know, your focus is off. You know, yeah. I, like, I, I never bought that with Golovkin either. I think that was a sign that Golovkin was starting to slow down and he was not as sharp as he used to be. I, I, no one wants to get hit in the head by a professional boxer. Right. I don't care how overmatched they are, that hurts. <laughs> you know, no one likes getting hurt.
0: Um, Javante Davis stopped Jose Pajaza in seven rounds. What was the difference, you think, between. Um, and I kind of touched on it a little bit, so I guess I, I'll let you talk here. But what do you think was the difference between the two fights in terms of how uh, Davis and Lomachenko approached the fight with Pedraza?
2: Well, it was uh, Pedraza thought he could take out Davis, and he kept coming forward. And like I said, he was fighting with his hands down, and Davis is just tearing him apart. Like I, I think when that fight was made, no one really was— they still weren't respecting Davis a lot. You know, people still th- they thought that, oh, he's just— you know Floyd's the only reason why he's getting these fights and getting pushed up. And Pedraza was trying like Pedraza was coming forward with him in this fight. Pedraza just looked like he was trying to make it through the fight. Yeah, which is he wasn't as aggressive. Yeah, yeah, um, like it's, he was. He just was, you know, like he wasn't aggressive this fight. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, and that's the difference. And I, th- I think I think Davis has a he has a lot more power, and he knows how to transfer that power than uh, Lomachenko does. Yeah. Lomachenko's still he's still trying to look skillful, you know, like he. That's what, I don't think, yeah, I just think it's just a power difference. Davis knows how to hit hard, and he knows how to put guys out.
0: Yeah, I I think a lot of what Lomachenko does, why he looks so spectacular, is because he emphasizes speed. And he's starting to transition out of that, at least that I saw in this fight, um, where this is starting to um, dissipate a little bit. But Lomachenko's emphasis is more on being quick, being first to land the scoring blow before the other guy does. Um, Davis is okay with sitting back and letting you throw. If that means he can load up the punch and get a little more on it and hurt you, and that's a big difference between Lomachenko and a lot of pros, because as a professional, you're not trying to score. Um, not all punches are weighted the same when you're when it comes time to scoring. You can land a big overhand right, and that will offset, you know, ten jabs that your opponent landed that didn't do that much damage. See last week, you know. So I think there's a big difference between the approaches that Davis has as a professional and Lomachenko does. And, uh, I mean, just be careful that you don't think that that's me comparing the two fighters. I haven't compared them at all. Um, I, I really just don't want to deal with people messaging me saying I said that Davis <laughs> was better than Lomachenko or something. Cause that's not what I'm saying here. It's just different approaches. Um, and, and we see this a lot, you know, Andre Ward has a different approach approach from Sergey Kovalev, uh, so, yeah, well, uh,
2: I think the thing, too, with Lomachenko is that people always discount, like, when you when you turn a fight professional, like, you know, most of these guys, they start earlier. Like, Lomachenko started late to become a professional, and people, and he jumped right into it, you know, with, obviously, with the loss and everything, but uh, people really discount how important those four-round fights against supposedly overmatched opponents are. You've got to train a guy. You've got to bring him to the amateur mindset, and you got to train him into a professional fighter so he knows how to win a professional fight and that's it like how to fight a full like some guys look obviously to get guys out quick with knockout punches but other guys they they know that there's 12 rounds and you've got a you've got to fight a certain fight with some people you know like you've got to put in some rounds and the other guy might look good for those early rounds but you're either taking them down to the body you know and waiting for later rounds where you can just close out the show or you can dominate them you know but it, it's it, you have to learn a pro style, and I don't think Loma is really there. I still think he's learning on the job.
0: Um, I don't – I don't – I have trouble with that. I don't think he's learning that much anymore. I think he's basically um, kind of a, a complete product at this point. He's going to change a few things here and there, but there's not much that he can do. We don't see – we rarely see fighters, rarely see fighters completely – transform their games. I think the most ob- like even Bernard Hopkins, who everybody talks about as somebody who who changed their style, I don't think they he changed his style that much. You saw you I mean you followed the sport longer than Stu or me because you I'm know, old. you're older. But I don't think Hopkins it was a big stretch how Hopkins changed. I mean they essentially Hopkins and 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 Floyd both just slowed down, but slow but speed didn't change how good they were
2: yeah well they had a better technical base of course yeah the hopkins i don't i don't think hopkins really changed at all he no, just hopkins he, was always he, boring to watch yeah he was always and people used to really hate him back when he was earlier days you know oh, uh we're sorry uh,
0: hbo stuff
2: yeah yeah exactly let's, yeah let's get There's away from that directed but no but uh, yeah It's hard to know. I I just think there's something going on, Lomachenko, Whether he's not happy on something, but like even his dad, I think, was kind of he's not happy with his performances or something.
0: Yeah, his dad. That that's one thing that I didn't. You know, if if ESPN wasn't so awful at commentary, um, this is something that I think should be talked about. Is the, the I don't know what the relationships like between Lomachenko and his dad, but I do think that the the way in which his dad was speaking to him during the fight, and then. Lomachenko's demeanor throughout the fight and then his actual performance. I, I think... And then what you're saying here, you're, you're positing that Lomachenko may not be happy with something. And and I think there's enough smoke there for you to assume that there's a fire. Now, it doesn't mean that there is. it could We could just be, you know, three random guys on the internet saying some stuff. That's totally possible. But I think Lomachenko's dad wasn't happy with the way he was fighting at, at some points in the fight. I mean, he... he like, I have never seen a trainer be that unhappy with their guy after they stop or not stop, but drop a guy twice. Um, he, yeah. he he kind of uh, ripped into him for being so wild trying to force a stoppage there, which I, I think lends itself to um, they want to slow him down. They want him to fight more of a pro style. And um, I, I, I don't think that there's really a reason to that. I prefer if you fight a pro style, but I don't think there's a reason because... He's just so damn good at doing what he's doing already.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like I said, I, I, it's like I said. I, I'm not sure. I just think there is something just that's going on, but either between his camp or between the promoter or something. It just it, he's too skillful to sort of look like this. Even though he looks dominant, there's still there's still something that's just not clicking right. Or yeah. maybe he's just maybe he's just getting tired of boxing. I don't know. You never know what's going on with these guys.
0: It, it especially these guys that, um, and we've seen this in other sports where guys who spend a lot of time just like invested in one sport and that's that's they eat, sleep, breathe it. It becomes difficult over time to maintain that same level of passion. Um, if you've ever seen the documentary Hook Dreams, one of the guys who they follow in that documentary, they he, he, I think they start following him at like ten years old or something, as is on his journey to try to become a an NBA player. And the guy lost passion for the sport. Like, I think after he got to college, he just he just fell out of love. And I'm not saying that that's happening with Lomachenko, but it could be some version of that. It could be that he's unhappy with the fights that he's getting, although this is a unification fight. Um, could be it's unhappy that his dad uh, is maybe telling him to fight in a way that he doesn't think he should. It could be that as well. Um, you know, there's also the talk about his shoulder, but his shoulder looked pretty good to me. Um, I, I didn't think it was, it was that big of a problem. Um, Lomachenko's weapon, I, I think his best weapon is that straight left hand. It's so fast. Um, every time he threw it, basically early in the fight, Pedraza couldn't get out of the way of it. Uh, I, I think, uh, where should we go with this? Do you want to talk about the commentary? Were you a fan of the commentary last night?
2: Oh God, no. And I was even like half drunk, but, uh, <laughs> no, there, there's something that really annoyed me in, I'm trying to remember. I think it's cause who is it either?
0: Joe Tessitore. Tessitore.
2: I think he started talking shit about Mayweather for some reason. It's like, well, what you know, does Mayweather have to do this I, I
0: wrote this down. He legitimately said that he could be Floyd Mayweather if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to be.
2: Oh yeah, and there's just <laughs> so he doesn't want to make a lot of money and be like dominant. Or, like, what's what does that mean? I, I don't know. It, it, it's yeah, the, the, there's something about that the commentary. Well, it's it's a bit over the top for supporting the top ranked guys, I think too. I don't, I'm not a fan of any of the boxing commentary for anyone right now. It's just—it's it, just again, like we talked about this last week. You need someone that's going to be balancing things out, and I don't think anyone really got it. It's more cheerleading now, you know. Uh, not that—not that it was is necessary last night with Lowechenko. With like I've got no problem because, like you know, if, it, if he's winning the fight, he's winning the fight. But some of these—it it just comes off weird. It comes off a bit too that. They're all cheering for top rank, and are they? You know, commentators are supposed to just be watching the fight and talking about the fight, and these guys see more like they're they're pushing the product, you know, like they're they're pushing ESPN or something, they pushing like these fights. It's just, I'm not a fan. I don't know, that's about as far as I can go with that. Stu,
1: what what annoyed me about the, watching the fight was. More so than the commentary, it was the production, the way they were showing replays. I think it was after round 10, Pedraza had probably his best round of the fight, his only probably clear round he won. And instead of showing replays of the shots he was landing, they showed a shot of an uppercut Loma landed three rounds ago instead. And it's like Loma's clearly winning the fight. You don't need to push the narrative
0: that far that he's winning every single round. Yeah, that, and that's, that's a big problem, I think because it doesn't help Lomachenko as much as it may seem that being biased towards one fighter like you would think logically that should help but I don't think it does because when you're biased towards one fighter it it undermines their um it undermines their opponent and if you undermine the opponent you get nothing from beating them um so they have to spend time stacking the deck against Lomachenko and what that means is that they actually have to place an emphasis on Pedraza they have to talk about how Pedraza has been so good lately because when Lomachenko inevitably inevitably beats him and there was no doubt there was no way in my mind that Lomachenko could have lost this fight but if you if the casual viewer who doesn't know that well or doesn't know that much they look at oh he beat Pedraza Pedraza was the champion Lomachenko must be even better than they say he is. I think you got to go with that approach. Um, HBO used to do a good job with this, but they they lost it in recent memory. Um, you have to paint, you have to create that picture. And also, let's just say that Lomachenko had lost, right? Maybe he got caught or whatever. Then they don't look like idiots who spent the whole fight. And this is what was the case with the Linares fight. And and if you look even in the the Dog Bay fight. They talk all about Dog Bay, all about Lomachenko. And then when the other guy has success and it looks like, oh, the tide's turning, what then? You look dumb. And so I think they just need to balance it out on the top right thing because those guys are good. Okay? Tessitore is really good. If he if he's not, like, gushing over something, like, Tessitore is really good calling college football. Um, he, he brings, like, the dude's really excited about the sport. Like, that's genuine. He's just, like, hyped up like that. But he's also pushing something that I don't think he necessarily needs to push. Oh, also, apparently Joe Tessitore, I I haven't watched enough Monday Night Football, but he's also been really bad on Monday Night Football. And, like, people hate the Monday Night Broadcast because of Joe Tessitore and Jason Witten, who uh, is more clueless than any other boxing uh, color analyst out there. But I'm not going to get into that. You can subscribe to The Athletic or something and read those uh, articles about those guys. Uh, but I like Joe Testator. I really do. I think I've said this in the past. And I, and I was really excited when when top rank um, got the ESPN deal and that Tessitore was going to stay on play by play as he was on Friday Night Fights. But the the overpushing of the top the top rank um, narrative is is just it, it's it's detracting from the broadcast, in my opinion. And the fighters, both of them should be the emphasis, not just one guy. Yeah, for sure.
2: And then, like it, it's uh, you sort of touched on it. It Creates this air, like especially in a matchup like this, they go, "Well, Lomachenko should win automatically," and that's a bad thing that's been with boxing forever. They think the the favorite should never have a struggle. Like if you go back to uh, Mayweather versus Maidana, then it becomes this big thing that Floyd lost the fight because Maidana was having some success. It's like, well, no, it's Maidana was getting clean there. He was having some success, but he wasn't. In damaging, he wasn't, Floyd wasn't in threat of losing that fight, and then it just, it becomes a weird backlash, it's like, play it a bit even, you know, do a better job of explaining exactly how, like, a guy like Lomachenko is getting success, not to just say, he's amazing, he's brilliant, he's everything, you know, it, it, it's, maybe these guys just don't know boxing enough to be able to portray it like a, a more evenly matched uh, commentary, you know, maybe that's just, there's, I don't know, Okay, but I guess you got Tim Bradley there, but then Tim Bradley's – I don't know. Sometimes his calls are off and everything.
0: Bradley doesn't really have like that, um, that Roy Jones or that foreman in him where he's just going to – like if he sees it one way, he is not going to sw- switch his opinion or anything like that. Or, or not his, switch his opinion, but really stand for it. Like he's willing to like be accommodating to the other commentators who clearly don't know as much about boxing as Bradley – I mean, yeah. Br- Bradley was a former champion in multiple weight classes, like, and and he's basically just not going to say say anything sometimes. Um, Ward did that last night a bit. Uh, Stu, you want to make another point about commentary?
1: I think one, one thing is like, if I'm a casual fan who's watching the you first, are. my first ever, yeah, very casual. <laughs> if I'm watching my first ever Loma fight and I'm watching the commentary team, I going, "This is so easy for him." He was never in doubt. I'm gonna go. Well, that was boring. I'm never gonna watch another watch another one. You know, you don't want you want even if a fight isn't competitive, you want to sell the idea that it is,
0: so people watch. Uh, What was the most exciting game this season of the NFL season? Chiefs Rams, right? It was the Chiefs Rams, right? Yeah. And when you went into that fight, what did we know? Or sorry, it was a game, not a fight. But what did we know about the two teams? were both good teams. They were both really offenses. good. High-powered offense, and and both had solid defenses, right? But obviously the Rams much better. But, but, but,
2: but, but, you okay, there's Stu die. Stu? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he did.
0: What? Well, uh, Stu's connection messed up. Why don't you just talk, Fred? <laughs> I, don't,
2: I don't know. where you're going with your analogy there. So you might as well carry it on. Well, like know you know,
0: it. the 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 Chiefs Rams game that did huge ratings for the NFL and ESPN. Was two teams that were the top in the, the conference or in their conferences and they were treated as such. It was like the meeting of two giants. And um while yeah, Pedraza wasn't a giant. You could paint him up as that. It's easy enough. And when Lomachenko beats him, it it just looks amazing. Um but you you have to sell your your, your fights like that. You can't you can't just do it by by putting one guy over and then saying and then this is the challenger. Um, save that I mean even for showcase fights you got to do that but anyway let's move on this is getting boring um let's talk about Isaac Dogbay. or actually sorry one more thing about Lomachenko what's next for him there's an answer here by the way but I'll let you guys it's gonna, um it's gonna be Anthony Corolla
1: isn't it and no
0: one's gonna have fun well here's the argument against Crolla. that's the answer by the way Corolla's gonna become the mandatory or is the mandatory or something like that but the question is, will Eddie Hearn allow Krola to go over and fight on ESPN?
2: Uh, that's a, it is a good question, but uh, it, it could become a purse bid, maybe? Yeah. Oh, he's well, card, if it right? becomes
0: a purse bid, Krolla will be fighting on ESPN.
2: Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like I said, is there a question? Because like, I was going to reference the, uh, the hooker fight, but that was a purse bid itself. Yep. So that's the that's the thing. Now you're going to see uh, how willing these these companies are really are to do business together. Yeah, for sure. For the Lomachenko is like, it'll probably end up being a purse bid, I would imagine.
0: What about the potential of they go fight in England, which is a big event and gives Lomachenko exposure in the UK, but also ESPN gets to broadcast it in the US? I think that's a win win for everybody involved, don't you think?
2: <laughs> no how does ESPN win putting a fight on at what 12 in the afternoon
0: they could you know. show it before you know some sporting event i don't know i, I might be grasping well, at straws if it's, here
1: if it's at 12 if it's a midday or something wouldn't it be on ESPN plus it's usually what they do with the
2: frank warren cards
0: yeah but this ain't a frank warren card this is top rank buddy
2: <laughs> top ranks <laughs> today. This ain't Daniel Dubois in like the it, main yeah. event yeah, they're they're not, not going to send Lomachenko over to the UK unless there's a ton of money over there because it, it's what's the point of it? They're trying to build up their product in the US, you know. Yeah, they, they don't really give a shit about the UK.
0: Fair yeah. enough. I, I just wanted to pose that theory out there, but yeah, it does seem like Anthony Crowler will be next for Lomachenko, um, and very likely it'll end up going to a purse bid. Very likely Top Rank will win by like three bucks, and. Uh, Eddie Hearn will have lost another purse bid. The fight will be on on ESPN. And um, Lomachenko will at least get a lot of credit from British fans for beating Krola. But obviously, I think Krola would be even less competitive than Jose Pedraza.
2: You're not going to get an argument from me on that one.
0: Okay. Speaking of a competitive match, we had Isaac Dogbe, who lost a unanimous decision against Emmanuel Navarrete. Um, This is a rare instance of Top Rank who's usually brilliant at matchmaking. Um, It's just backfiring on them. And like last week, I called Navret basically like your regional tough guy who fights basically his whole career in one area, knocks out everyone that's in the area, and then gets thrust onto the world stage. And usually those guys get beat, and they get beat pretty bad. But he came in, and he really gave Bay a tough time. I think early in the fight, it looked like Dogbay was gonna get him out of there, and then what do you know? Dog Bay winds up losing the fight. So my question is, why did Dog Bay lose this fight?
2: Because Navarrete was taller, and uh, he kept pressuring him. He just like didn't let him off the hook or on anything. Dog Bay, I don't know. Like I said, this is what one twenty two. Yes. You know? I'm not. I don't really follow these lower weight classes. So the whole this idea that Dog Bay was some kind of monster, I don't know. I have no idea where that came from. To me, he got you know out the
0: it, it came up. Come on.
2: Uh, actually, I don't. I, I have no idea where this this thing came from. I don't follow, like I said, these weight classes. It's,
0: he beats so. up Magdaleno, then he beats up. Uh, who was his opponent last time out? I don't know. Can't even remember. He beats his last opponent. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, exactly. On ESPN. Game, that on that?
2: But and that's then, my point. You can't remember. It's, it's like these aren't these aren't like emphatic things. He's a good fighter, but then he got beat by a better fighter. And I don't think it's a really backfiring because top ranks, like they, they've been around forever. Matchmakers are like probably the best in the business. They know what they're going. Like, if they wanted Dog Bay to have an easier fight, they would have gotten an easier fight. You know, like the matchmakers, these guys know what they're doing. Like, into a level of there's no commentator, there's no one out there that's podcasting or even like these professional writers. They're not even close to the intelligence level of, of true boxing matchmakers, you know, so you can get that straight. I think. Like, Dog Bay, they just signed up to one year, and I think they extended it back in October or something. They're just, like, uh, shaking them out. Because they got all these dates, and they're like, well, we need to build our... First, they need to be, build up more fighters than they normally would carry. Because now they got all these ESPN d- dates to fill. They're like, hey, let's let's see what happens. But this will be a tough fight. If Dog Bay wins, then we got something. If not, well, then we still got business with both of them. They could sign Navarrete, you know, up to a, a deal. And it's then they got Dog Bay. Because... For- yeah, but they'll always find a way. They'll co-promote or they'll give them time. They'll always find a way to make money off these dudes. You know, they're top rank is what they do.
0: Yep. Uh, what do you think about this? Oh, actually, Stu, do you have anything you want to add here?
1: Well, I I thought it's funny thing is you were saying with Navarrete, he's a regional tough guy who beat everybody in Mexico. I know but where you're going with this. The the case with Isaac Dogfe is, you know, a year ago, he was just the guy who beat everybody in Ghana. I just think that Dog Bay was a regional tough guy who lost to a bigger, slightly better regional tough guy. And he was overhyped from that Magdalena fight, which, you know, was a a good win. But it wasn't as good as it suggested to
0: people. He was overrated by it. I I agree with that. Um, And that's literally when I wrote that down. um, That's what I thought of today about, okay, basically Dog Bay is Navarrete, except Navarrete's taller, and he comes from an area that's more known for having uh, a higher level of boxing, I should say. So I think here's here's the thing, okay? Um, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. I hope you guys don't mind. But do you think that Dazen messed up by giving that, billion dollars or at least a hundred and something million dollars to top or sorry not top rank but um to mashroom when it might have been better served to give it to zamfer if you look at their stable right now their stable is pretty good they they have a bunch of world champions and all what do they all have in cha- in, in common is that they're mexican you got Burchelt, you got munguia you've now got navarette um zamfer's got uh, Luis Neary, they've got a pretty solid um, uh, stable. Do you think that it would pro- probably have been better if Zanfer would have gotten a TV deal? I don't think that Eddie Heron got
2: all that money, though. I still don't believe it. I think they were talking about how much money Dazen has to put out there. And But I would agree that if you're looking for to get in America, they maybe should have went with Sanford, you know, who who at least know the lay of the land a bit. And but maybe they just got uh, suckered in by Eddie's, you know, smooth talking or something. But definitely, like, I, I'm not seeing anything on Days In that suggests that they got $125 million a year to spend. Because if you go back to, like, HBO when they were on top and they had, like, $150 million, they clearly had all the best talent around, you know. And that's then they only came there because of the money. It's not because everyone loved HBO. It's because that's where the money is. Boxers will always know where the money is.
0: I, I think... You know, it, Zanfer and Golden Boy on Dazen would have been a far better deal than this Golden Boy and Matchroom deal. And while you do get Anthony Joshua with with Matchroom, Joshua hasn't moved the needle here in America, and and that's a, a misconception that you see a lot on the internet. But jo- Joshua's impact in America has not been very good. And it's
2: uh, th- no, you're right on that one. It's it, it's everyone knows he's a great boxer, but it's you're not gonna get the attention of America by fighting in the UK you're not you're going to be a curiosity but he won't come over so he's not going to get there so it's yeah it, it's definitely what's and we know the biggest base is going to be the Hispanic market so if you're going to try to break in America why are you going with a guy from the UK you know why wouldn't you go with Zanfer? or like at least now they've gone with Golden Boy but Golden Boy's not what it used to be either it's odd this whole this whole day think- thing it's odd to me that's all I know
1: I think you can tell from the situ- situation with Dazin, there must have been a lot of people who were inexperienced with boxing marketing and boxing <laughs> boxing networks to give uh, Matchroom USA a deal. Because, you know, apparently they've been paid $150 million and all they can do is hijack a Nico Hernandez card in the <laughs> middle of nowhere in Kansas. Like, the, there's there has to be someone who's extremely any experience with boxing to be responsible for
0: that um do you let's just uh transition away from that uh, do you believe uh in emmanuel navarette as a world champion
2: why not you know like i said 122 it's not like there's a lot of killers kicking around that division so you can get some traction out of him you can get a fight and that's it you know see what he's up to you know top yeah, rank will they... probably keep trying to match him out the Whatever, even if Zanfer has them, you know, top rank has the dates. So exactly. we'll see him. And it's like, you know, yeah, there's always, just like Dog Bay, there's so many boxing dates coming up next year that pretty much everyone's, they're going to be shaking everyone out and seeing who can they actually depend on to get a couple wins or to at least build some momentum out there. And you're, so you're going to see a lot of these guys, if they got any kind of skill, they're going to get fights.
0: And with Navaret, I think. Zamfers done a really good job by attaching themselves to the bigger promoters um and not having to basically be the ones who are taking on the risk and I think if they let Top Rank get an option or two on Navarrete that means Navarrete could be possibly appearing alongside uh an Oscar Valdez or maybe a Gilberto or Jose Ramirez um taking some of what they bring to the to the to the table and look Navarrete has a style that is hard to not like. Like, this was a great fight. And I actually think that we could see a rematch, but this was a great fight. And I think Navarette, uh and Dogbe, that, um, th- th- it's a good combination first and foremost between the two of them. And I think second of all, anyone who watches this fight can't walk away not liking Navarrete. He seemed like a really uh, a really fun fighter to watch. Do you guys think that uh, Dogbe can recover from this?
2: Sure just a loss you know and like i said what recover from what is this uh, no, i know he came up with this hype machine but it's not like he was this long-standing champion or anything he came out of nowhere last year so he can still stick around you know uh, yeah it, it is not like he's was the most dominant fighter for a decade and now, now he's been exposed or something it's like most yeah. people don't even know who the hell he was. Yeah,
0: it's... Doug Bay's still really young. The only question is if he took a little too much damage because that fight went on a, a, like yeah, a, maybe right. two rounds too long. Um, yeah, he
2: was getting slapped around pretty good. Like I said, that's never that was a good performance. You know, he's a guy just based off names. They're probably thinking, oh, Dog bay is an easy win or whatever. You know, this is just a step? And Navrat came up, he showed up and took the belt.
0: You guys think that Teofimo Lopez will be ready for a world title shot in 2019? Last night, Teofimo Lopez knocked out Mason Menard. um, Literally, just hit the switch on him in the first round. Do you think that Lopez could fight for a world title in 2019? I think.
2: Do you want to say
0: something? I I think you know he's he's
1: good enough to potentially win one of those vacant titles, but if I'm Bob you know Teofimo Lopez is in the um, same division as Loma so if he wins a title suddenly there's that's a fight that people might be speaking about and Bob might have to try and avoid making and it would be awkward you know for Teofimo Lopez so I think he has the potential to but I don't think he will fight for one I don't see I don't see one don't See how it makes sense from a business perspective for Teofimo Lopez to fight for one of Mikey's vacant titles in the next year, because he's not going to fight Loma.
0: Yeah, I think that's the main point. There is that Lomachenko. Um, as long as Lomachenko's in the division, it it I it's going to be hard for, to push Lopez a little too quickly, because if he grabs a title, then the fans are going to clamor for that fight. They're going to want to see. They're going to see the, the the highlight reel knockout of Menard, and they're going to say. Lopez needs to fight Lomachenko, and I and I think Lopez needs a little bit of time before he gets into a fight with Lomachenko to even be competitive, let alone have a shot at winning. So um, let's move over to the HBO show. Um, the show, is, in terms of the fights, were pretty unforgettable or pr- pretty forgettable. Clarissa Shields wins a decision. Juan Francisco Estrada um, wins by uh, a technical knockout. His opponent um, did not come out after one of the one of the rounds. Um, and then Cecilia Brakis wins a decision, but let's talk about HBO. So this is their final show. Um, Fred, what you've watched HBO longer than maybe Stu's been alive. <laughs> I mean, I guess I don't know. Stu's. <laughs> um, just okay, from your I- perspective, over the years, like how have you seen HBO change?
2: Well, you know, of course, HBO used to be the Or you can say box. whatever you want, I sorry. Uh, I don't know, I cancelled my HBO a couple of years ago, so I've never right. really been following that much, because they just became a giant pain in the ass. Once, Atlanta, once they lost Floyd, and this was going on before then, like, I remember pretty much HBO's, they used to be, like, presenting a lot of the good fights, but when Oscar, like, sort of was the main star in boxing, they had this thing where they started to just shit-talk Oscar, you know? And when Floyd became the main guy in boxing, they started talking shit about Floyd. And it was really strange where they almost became like uh, they started targeting their main star. Now, whether that was driven because these guys are asking too much money for like behind the scenes or they were all on to pay-per-view and they wouldn't do HBO shows, what was going on was different. It is like compared to Roy Jones, who took a big deal like. To stay on hbo and not go on pay-per-view you know lampley always used to make excuses for roy jones jr in that uh, disqualification which was a clean disqualification you know roy hit a guy who was down that's what happens but he'd always make it up like that but somehow that happened you know so they would really protect the guys who would stay on uh hbo and that became more obvious and it, it just is know, cancel it when lampley started that whole uh the fight game or whatever was just pretty much a whole show about him shitting on everyone that wasn't on HBO. You know, like I didn't see any benefit to that, but I guess they were struggling. Everyone sort of knew the end was near. I don't know. It was great. You know, I'm not going to knock on HBO. They put on a lot of big fights, but I've never been nostalgic. It's like, there's enough outlets that are carry on the fights that I'm not getting weepy over the end of HBO. It just doesn't matter to me. There's a ton of boxing everywhere.
0: What was your favorite commentary team? Uh, We're going to I disagree like, on this, I know. So I know, I'm, I'm I know, I know. I know right I'm, off. I'm setting you up.
2: I always liked George Foreman. Even when he went a little too far, I always liked Foreman. Because he used to keep uh, Lampley's ego in check, first of all, which is like almost impossible. You see in the last few years, no one could do that. Lampley just took over everything. Uh, so I liked the Foreman team with Merchant. That's when the Merchant he could still be kind of funny. And he wasn't so... When he could
0: get a thought out in less than five seconds?
2: uh, Well, he was always a slow talker. But, you know, (laughs) Larry Merchant, he had a lot of good insights and he had a lot of good talk, though. Uh, He became, of course, everyone likes to goof on him. But he was really good. I'm not going to knock him in the end, you know, even though as much as he annoyed me. Uh, The Emanuel-Stewart lineup was kind of good, but they were a bit too chummy. They just liked Emanuel because he wasn't George and he wasn't going to butter balls on, you know, yeah,
0: Emmanuel was like that nice grandpa figure um, who was always just like, boys will be boys, you know. Stewart was never like willing to go in on somebody.
2: Yeah. I don't know. They, they had a lot of good teams. like Even the Max, then Roy, and Lampley, that wasn't a bad team. But Roy was kind of funny when you could understand him. But um, Yeah, a, a lot of good fights. It was good. HBO was great, but like I said... I'm not going to sit here and cry. I, I hate nostalgia. I think but I think the worst problem boxing has is this fake nostalgia. You know, and I and I sent that to you in a different message uh what people were saying about the Leonard Hagler fight when it was being made compared to how people view it now. Well, hold
0: on. Just everyone mm-hmm. stop, okay? Ah, let's let's just tr- try this experiment on Stu. Stu, what are what do you know about Leonard Hagler? And don't well, try to like don't try to like I'm not don't try to walk up. Don't try to change your answer like legitimately what do you what do you know about that fight? Ah, right. Well, I'm not one of these guys who obsesses about old boxing. Never mind, Stu, but... shut up.
1: No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, but from my point of view, but from my point of view it's like it seems like it was two pound for pound guys going up against each other at middleweight. I know now I'm going to be told that raw for something that happened 10 years before I was born.
2: Well, and that's it. Like some people pumped it, but you could you can go back and see articles where people were saying it should have been on April first because it should be an April Fool's joke. How Sugar Ray Leonard was like, uh, he hasn't been out of boxing for so long, and you know, and this is a garbage, man, and this is just another scam by you know, Bob Arum to put one over on the fans, you know. And it just seemed like the Duran Hagler. People were booing during the actual fight, you know, and, and writers afterwards were savaging it. But now they're like the four kings, you know, there's a lot of this. And I think HBO played into that over the time. They started to, well, a a, a perfect is uh, Gaddy Ward, you know. That's been built up to this monumental fight when at the time they only did that. It, It was a bit of a joke fight. It just showed how bad Gaddy was shot. You know, he had the extra, they had like a 22 frame that they made so Gaddy could move around. He still couldn't get around Mickey Ward. You know, it had been built up into the major fight because the same night Costa Zoo was fighting on Showtime. And Costa Zoo was the clear winner. Like, Costa Zoo was the clear best fighter in that, at that time. You know, but the whole HBO myth making and everything and this nostalgia now everyone will still go on and on and on about uh, Gaddy Ward, which really uh, showed how bad Gaddy would, fell. Like, that he couldn't take out this, what, 37 or 39 year old club fighter. But yeah, Um, that's what nostalgia gets you. It's just nonsense. And I wish it was out of boxing, but you'll never get rid of it.
0: So essentially, what you're saying is that in the 80s, boxing was very much like it is now, which is that writers were still talking down on fights. They were still, you know, just hating on everything. Uh, and, And that continued through the 90s and into the 2000s. Like, it's basically been the same.
2: It's been the same in boxing since the start of boxing. People have always trashed the fights going on. They always say there's robberies. They always say it's this. They always say it's that. It's usually only when people, uh, they're nostalgic for their own youth. And that's where you see a lot of these guys who watch these fights as a kid. Like, again, most of the people, you'll hear them talk, these sports people. They don't even realize they were watching a rebroadcast of the fight that happened before. They weren't watching live fights. Like A lot of these things, when they bash pay-per-view, a lot of these fights were on closed-circuit TV that was massively expensive in some places. You know, more expensive than pay-per-view cards are now. But everyone thinks that, oh, every single television channel was showing boxing 24-7 You know, in the golden age of boxing. Now, people just trashed it. People ignored it. People thought that it was the same thing. The exact same uh, HEC for boxing today has always been on boxing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. is fun, but HBO, they, they had a lot of good fights, and they had a lot of crap fights that they pushed as good fights. So it's give or take. Um,
0: I thought the montage that they did was really good. I thought um, they captured a lot of people. They, they put over the guys that they needed to put over. I think they um, kind of glossed over some of what they could have put a spotlight on. The cost of boxing. They showed a, a montage of guys who got brutally knocked out. But the cost of boxing—guys who had suffered life-threatening injuries out of their time in the ring—I think the, if there was anything missing from that clip, which was very good, is they could have shown a spotlight on just how brutal the sport is, just how um, how risky it is to get into the sport. They they did they did use the um, they. They did talk about, or how should I say this? Um, you know, I, I, I was actually kind of a little hesitant in thinking that maybe they wouldn't show clips of guys who now fought on other networks. And they did. And I'll give them credit for that. And they did say boxing has moved to other frontiers. And we encourage you to subscribe and to watch wherever you may find boxing. And I thought that that was really what that was at the end of the broadcast and why I thought it was very good was because when they said, we now step to the other side with you as fans of the sport. And it's true. At the end, that was Max and Roy and Jim talking like they were fans of the sport and no longer the agents of HBO and the agents of, of the, the, the sport, but more just their fans. And I think that was very good. Um, Roy's goodbye was very heartfelt. I, I thought, um, he talked about if you didn't see it, he talked about just basically HBO gave him his opportunity as a boxer and launched his career and also launched his uh, career as a commentator, of which he, you know, obviously is very thankful for those things because that's his, his life. And, um, you know, H, Fre- Roy. Did have some tears, as did Lampley, as was expected. And the most unfortunate thing about the broadcast was that Max Kellerman's voice was awful. (laughs) It was just awful. Like, Max was very sick or something, and I give him a lot of credit if he was sick for going out there. It wasn't a, a very warm day yesterday. It was very cold at the StubHub Center. It's outdoors. And if Max was sick, he probably must have been in terrible shape because his voice sounded terrible. And um, he went out there. He he, he tried his best. Uh, he tried to say goodbye. Um, but you know, good things are, are lie on the horizon for Max. He will be getting his own TV show and join the top ranked broadcast on ESPN. So that's good. Um, but overall, it was good. You know, I Fred, you you gave your perspective on HBO. I, I think for most people, uh, they grew up with HBO. If you were a boxing fan, you know, I I remember. Um, I think one of the first pay per views I ever remember like just remember actually both fighters because I remember growing up there were a lot of Oscar De La Hoya and and I'm from LA so you can you can naturally assume that of course it was Oscar De La Hoya a lot of uh parties and stuff where we ordered the the De La Hoya fight we watched and um the first fight that I remember where I remember both guys was when he fought Shane Mosley and Shane Mosley was a guy that I knew of as well and so I grew up with HBO as did most of us so yeah, it was. It, it's sad that HBO is getting out, but I, I think, you know, if you look at the card, this is boxing right here. Most fighters don't go out with some grand fight. You know, maybe Floyd did when he goes out fighting McGregor in one of the biggest spectacles of all time. But most fighters don't go out that way. Sergey Kovalev is going to go out, like, just think about Sergey Kovalev for a sec, because he was a big HBO star of the last uh, several years loses to Andre Ward, and then gets brutally uh, stopped by Sullivan Barrera. Not Sullivan Barrera, uh, Elliot or Alvarez. And then Alvarez is going to rematch him and probably do the same thing. And maybe Kovalev fights a, a few more times. And that last fight is basically where where there's not much left from Kovalev. That was this HBO card. You got a win over... I mean, it was a win, but it wasn't very inspiring. And um, that's just kind of boxing for you. So anything else you guys want to say about HBO? Uh, yeah, like it is
2: that is kind of fitting how uh, HBO did go out, you know, a shell of themselves. Like, they're any, this is a network that ignored women's boxing for the, the vast majority, except when it was like a uh, top ranked putting was on
0: fighting on undercards on pay per view. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. Men there, but they never put the spotlight on. So for them the and with a headline, females card, it's kind of like, ooh. I guess now you want to pay attention to, but but it is you know like no one goes out on top unless you're Floyd, you know, because he do it again. But HBO, like I said, I, I don't want to seem too negative, but they sort of drove me that way. HBO put on a lot of great fights, even though most of the fights that people will say are actually pay per view fights that HBO just broadcast and never set up. I think when HBO was as greatest was when they had uh, boxing after dark, because they could put on some smaller scale fights, and you could get a lot of great surprises on there. You know, a lot of great evenly matched fights. And when they sort of got away, when H- boxing after dark sort of just became like a uh, the same as championship boxing, but with just a bit different commentary team. I think that's when they really started to show that there were some issues there. Because they used to put on some really great smaller scale fights where it was just like two evenly matched guys. And that was closer to like just beating the hell out of each other, like winning. You could you could see a lot of up and coming stars. But eh, HBO was great, but it's out. It's gone, and it went out in a not a great way, you know. So yeah, it's just like a boxer, you know, just guys hangs around too long and eh, gets you, knocked you're out. You're going to
0: talk about the Barrera versus Kennedy McKinney fight. You want to talk about that boxing after dark?
2: <laughs> yeah, see, some great fights like that, you know, especially if you weren't, especially back before the internet, especially when the internet got so big, where it was really, it was if you weren't in like New York or LA or a major media center, it was tough to keep track. Like, you didn't know a lot of these boxes. So, these guys would show up on, like, especially Boxing After Dark, out of nowhere. And they just put on great fights, and people weren't always yelling about how terrible they were, even though they were, you know, everyone's bitched about it before. But, like, if you're out in the middle of America or middle of Canada or anywhere in the world and it wasn't a media hub, HBO was a really great product for just seeing fights, you know. And then it's as, of course, the politics they pushed forward as part of themselves. You know, like Lampley wants to say, oh, yeah, follow boxing. But remember how hateful he was when Floyd mm-hmm. signed away, you know, to Showtime. You know, he was leading the charge about how Floyd will never match the you know, contract and Showtime wasted their money and they're terrible and all this stuff. I don't know. I guess let them go out with their little tearful goodbye. But
0: All right. Well, that's enough out of
2: you. <laughs> you that? Yeah,
0: that, I, I, that love, was, I, just, I just love railing on him. inspiring
2: cuz you got Lampley who's crying over everything now like come on that it, it's my nature to goof on them. you know they're so over serious i i just hate that thing about boxing you know it's like this is what boxing this is it's a rough it's a horrible sport It's all full of politics and they got taken out by politics they got taken out by money you know uh, the, so the, fitting i mean you, yeah.
0: in what you're saying which is some a lot of what you're saying is mostly just as you say goofing a lampley but there are some yes. nuggets of of real truth there with, with what you're saying but let's move on to Kell Brook. Kell Brook uh, fought. Um, Stu, you're going to have to take it away on this one because um, Fred did not watch this. I can guarantee Fred didn't watch this. I
2: watched the undercard of this.
0: Why I did you watch days the in. undercard and not the main event? Oh, yeah, you do have days, in, That is true.
2: Uh, I watched a bit. Actually, I, I didn't watch because I was out, but I watched it today. And uh, Well, yeah, Stu, take it over. <laughs> Go
0: ahead, Stu. How
2: did
1: Kell Brook do in the main event? Uh, not very well. You know he's, he, and the, he hasn't looked particularly good at all since obviously that back-to-back Spence and Golovkin fights. But tonight was the worst. You know he won the fight clearly, but this was a guy who he should have he should have battered him. And he the only round that Kelbrook clearly dominated and didn't get tagged by him was the first round, and then he just slowly went downhill. And you know you if you. If you're Kell Brook and you think you should be challenging for world titles at 154, you shouldn't be looking like that. Like uh, this Kell Brook, this was a, a eliminator for the WBA, I think, wasn't it? And well, it's irrelevant. It was an eliminator for because this Kell Brook loses to all of the um, all of the champions. Well, or wait, maybe bar Munguia, but even. Even that, I doubt he can beat him just because he looks so bad. How does he look size wise to you? Well, the, the, he, he looked the same as he did at 147, and he came in at the weigh in at 150, you know, four pounds below the weigh limit. That's not bad, though. She, Jared Hurd
0: only weighs 152 at the weigh in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think Hurd, Hurd is the exception that proves the rule more than anything.
0: They're basically but, the same size.
1: <laughs> but we, the, the way he's been speaking in interviews, he's been saying after spending years pronouns, saying
0: uh, he being Kelbrough. <laughs> he being Kelbrough. So, go my
3: point. on, on poor Stu. Been
1: He's been spe- spending years uh, talking about how he was killing himself making it to 147. He's going to go up to 154. Then he eventually goes up to 154 after the Spence fight. And now he's speaking about going back down to 147
0: to try and get that same can fight the funny thing is that Kelbrook literally said the same stuff like in 2012 um after he fought Carson Jones i believe at 154 and was talking about he was killing himself to make 147 and that he should move up and then he moves up fights Carson Jones not so good comes back down wins a world title against Sean Porter eventually Um, gets beat up by Golovkin at 160, beat up by Spence at 147. Now he's at 154, not looking good. Um, do you guys think that maybe now I like Kell Brook? Okay. I like Kell Brook, but I got, I got to call a spade a spade here. Do you think maybe Kell Brook just isn't that good and the weight class isn't really going to matter? I mean, if he goes up higher, you know, at 154, obviously he's going to be dealing with guys that are much bigger than him, uh, with a lot of power that will not bode well for his eye. But do you think maybe Kell Brook is just a little overrated?
2: I think he peaked with the Porter fight. I think that was probably the best Kell Brook would ever look and he ever would look. Because I've always thought that Eddie was just cashing him out. Like after he almost got his leg chopped off or whatever, and then they made that Golovkin fight, I I always thought that was a pure cash-out fight. That's when a promoter goes, there's nothing left of this guy. I'm going to get what I can out of him. And then it turned to a big uh, hit, so he kept doing it. Like that Cal Brook fight last night, like he, he comes in in shape, he looks in shape, but he was so slow and he was getting hit with clean punches from a guy that if if he goes up against anyone skilled, he, he's going to get hurt, like severely hurt. That's why the Con fight is the only thing that makes sense in my mind that they should do it because that's all both of them can handle. These neither one of these Brook or Con can handle top guys anymore. He can't and and this is dangerous if they try to push him towards it because this is where fighters can get severely hurt because that broke last night it he was it's just terrible he looked bad just he, just sluggish and he like there was nothing really there he looks like he can still fight but he can't he can't
0: I, I mean he looks like a guy that's been knocked or stopped twice brutally stopped that's taken two beatings i mean we we talked about this with the with the mcgregor fight um when he fought Khabib. And while this is a completely different sport, there's a big difference between when you lose in MMA and when you lose in boxing. Um, when you lose in boxing, it is so punishing. And, and given what we saw last night in MMA, uh, the main event, I only saw the main event. It was just a freaking bloodbath. But, like, Fred, you've talked about this before where you didn't think that McGregor would, would be able to recover from losing to Floyd. Even though Floyd um, and, and the McGregor fight wasn't the, like, he didn't brutally stop him. It wasn't like that. He McGregor got whooped, but he didn't like. It wasn't like Golovkin was fighting him. Um, what was the thinking that you had that had you say that?
2: Because well, here's the thing: everyone tries to like discredit Mayweather's hands and he can't hit or anything. But he's a guy who kept uh, Canelo Alvarez off him. Like he was pushing Canelo Alvarez around the thing. So Floyd hits hard. He's just not a knockout puncher anymore because he's up in a higher class and his hands are an issue. But when you, it, it's people. You can't underestimate how hard boxers hit, and that's the thing I think. Like I said, that's why I push with McGregor. He like that could be fight. He doesn't look like he looks like a shell, you know. Because he's winning the stand up against this guy who's supposed to be a stand up fighter, and it's like he's because he got his ass beat by Floyd. Like he had a what twenty pound weight advantage. He's Floyd was forty at the time, and he's getting knocked around by a boxer because boxers hit hard and it hurts and that's accumulating damage and that's what you got with Kell Brook he's a guy who was he did fight games. a guy like
0: Floyd who while he has respectable power he's not like a yeah. crushing power but he went against so, Golovkin and Spence and then
2: Spence yeah he went against two guys that hit extremely hard and they're very skilled boxers too on top of it
0: and Which he is got that's, hit a that's, lot.
2: that's yeah, and, that, and that's the combination. Like, you can go against guys who hit hard, but sometimes they're not going to hit you a lot. But both Spence and Golovkin were landing on him a lot. And that's, it, it's taken, it's out of, him. like, it's obvious. Like, he might, that's what I just worry about, is that they're gonna keep going to keep Brook going because Brooke's got, he's popular. So they're going to keep trotting him out there.
0: Dude, what, if, if they were going to keep tr- trotting Kel Brook out there, like, on a domestic level, aside from Khan, what is there? On a, I, Ted you know, Cheesman?
1: they nothing. Ted, Ted Cheeseman, nobody's heard of him You know, that's a TV fight, that's and he, he's, name, st- he's still gonna he's still gonna sell out in Sheffield. He's still gonna do good numbers there, but there's no other British guys about at one five four and um, Anthony at one forty seven. <sighs> you know, I think okay. again Fowler just someone who he's not very known. You know. It doesn't do any numbers, and it's
0: a risky fight for Kale, and uh, you know, he's got a chance to lose it now. Okay, let's move on. It's clear that Brook, if he's going to have another fight, should fight Amir Khan. But, wait. Amir Khan's name is being mentioned as a possible opponent for Terrence Crawford. How should we feel about this, guys? I don't
2: buy that. I don't. It makes no sense. Why, like, Especially when they say $5 million. Why would Aaron pay him $5 million? You know, Amir Khan doesn't. He doesn't. He only got like six million total for fighting Canelo. And it, it's. I don't get where they think Amir Khan is a five million dollar b side.
0: Well, here's know, a, the other Crawford. thing. Why did they offer five million for Khan but only three million for Danny Garcia? If we're to believe the news uh, that the the reporting that Mike Coppinger did.
2: Uh, in my opinion, because they're going to fight Collazo and they're just trying to say that these other guys won't fight him. But oh, I, yeah. I could people be wrong. Oh people are definitely you
0: know, going to buy that. Amir Khan. I think
2: this, Yeah, I, I think this is a top rank, but they always do. They always like to toss out names and numbers and everything, and then they end up fighting who they're going to fight anyway.
0: So you don't think there's any chance that it's possible that Amir Khan might be fighting Terrence Crawford in the spring sometime, maybe on ESPN pay-per-view?
2: Oh, it is possible. Anything's possible. But the timing doesn't make sense either because they said it's going to be a week after the Spence Garcia fight bob has been in this business too long. He's not going to run a pay per view after a pay per view just happened. You know, it's going to conflict with everything unless ESPN's like really gung ho and they want to run it. But uh, Top Rank, there's no way Top Rank puts a pay per view on a week after someone just had a pay per view.
0: And like, who, I, it, who's going to choose sense. that fight over Spence Garcia? Yeah, and it's a,
2: and exactly because Crawford's not a Crawford's. He's known in the boxing world, but we already saw what happened when he went to pay per view. Like, he gets. What they, you know, but they didn't even break hundred thousand. I don't think, you know. They did it. Uh, yeah, on a good fight, but sixty thousand. Yeah, he's like, it, it. It just story doesn't make any sense. Like Amir Khan's not the guy who's going to put over a fighter. I just to see it. it yeah, it's, it's all, it all seems nonsense to me.
0: If they made that fight, how would you feel about Terence Crawford?
2: <laughs> well. It, it kind of fit in with him just fighting a guy with one leg. He's going to beat up on Kel Brook. Yeah, I don't for, know. I I was, you're
0: not very high on. I'm high on, on Terrence Crawford. Crawford.
2: I, I think Terrence Crawford's a great fighter, but I think what he he I just like I said I talked about the way HBO worked uh, Roy Jones Jr. You know I love Roy Jones Jr. But the guys he was fighting on HBO were like almost embarrassingly bad. You know because that's all they could get. They spent all their money on Roy Jones. You know so they weren't going to spend anything on the opponent so oh, I think so that's what kind you're of like seeing with uh,
0: Dayson and canillo
2: yeah well is that, exactly. is that
0: the point you're trying to make <laughs> yeah it's just I think Crawford
2: with top rank he's locked himself into a network that and top rank isn't deep at welterweight anymore you know so I don't know I just I think he's I think he's going to be fighting guys that have no chance of beating him. and Amir Khan doesn't have a chance of beating Terence Crawford
0: yeah, uh, obviously. Um, who I mean, there's two guys on the planet that have a chance, and it's just a chance to beat Terrence Crawford, who are active boxers uh, that are at his weight, and that's Keith Thurman and Errol Spence. And there's literally nobody else, which is yeah. how good Crawford is. Obviously, you know, if he fought Tyson Fury, I think while <laughs> it might be close, you, you know, Fury has a slight edge there. But other than that, you know, um, nobody's got an edge over Terence Crawford.
2: No, like like Sean Porter isn't winning a Terence Crawford fight. Danny Garcia isn't winning a Terrence Crawford fight. No. And maybe just, Manny Pacquiao.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah, but Pacquiao's not going there. Otherwise, he would have stayed with Top Rank, and he didn't want he didn't want Crawford. You know, a couple of years ago, he's not going to want him now. He's not going to want to go out taking abuse from a guy like Crawford.
0: You know, if Top Rank's going to hand out three million dollars. Kelbrook should jump in and say, I'll take that $3 million. He should fight Crawford. I mean, if, if Kelbrook Brook did that, which is really bad, I'm not suggesting that he should, but if he did that, Kelbrook might have one of the best resumes in boxing. He may have lost most of the fights that he had against top guys, but that will show a level of nerve and balls of a top fighter like Kelbrook has been in the past that you rarely see. Um, let's move on. It appears that the Wilder Fury... Pay per view is going to top out somewhere around three hundred and twenty thousand buys. Um, this is above the break-even point uh, that they said that they needed to hit uh, for it to. Uh, so basically, it's exceeded the number that they that they needed it to. The question is, do you think if they lowered the price that it would have sold even more pay per views?
2: Stu, any opinion? You live in a lower priced world.
1: Uh, well, I. I- I'm not going to claim to be an expert in pay per view, but every interview with executives of TV channels and things like that seem to point to the point to the fact that price doesn't make a difference in how much, how many pay per view a fight will do, and the people who say, "Oh, I would have bought it if it was thirty dollars lower," are really in the. Minority, and they make such a such a little difference in the buys that it, they would be making less money if they lowered the price
0: anyway. What do you think?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, that's what I agree with. I, I think people they say a lot off. Oh, it was cheaper. I'd buy. That's that's mostly bullshit. You know, they're they're going to pirate. They're going to pirate because the people who are mostly buying the pay per views are the general public that doesn't follow boxing day to day. Although they they follow when they hear about a fight, and so you want to maximize as much money as you can get out of the people who are going to pay this whole idea that oh if it was cheaper it doesn't wash out you know and we've seen it before you know espn plus is is you know sure they got a lot of subscriptions but they're not getting 10 million subscribers you know and they only charge whatever 10 bucks a month or something what do they charge i
0: think out of what is probably 78 million dollars or 78 million subscribers that espn has they've converted um Maybe what one point something percent into ESPN Plus subscribers. I think ESPN Plus subscribers, the number only reaches about a million, and it's four ninety nine a month.
2: Yeah, people like to say a lot of things that are just lies. So (laughs) they all they all want this. Oh, if it was thirty bucks, I'd definitely buy. But uh, when they can pirate it, they're going to pirate it because they're going to be like, well, I don't think this fight's worth thirty bucks. they always make up some bullshit excuse. So yeah, they they definitely seventy five bucks you got to keep raising the price. You know, it's pricing power. Same reason why Apple keeps raising the price of their phones because they're giving you a better product. They want to say it's a premium product, and saying it's not a premium product can backfire on you.
0: Yeah, I don't think lowering the prices is feasible. Um, I think there's there's a delicate ratio here that we're not privy to, and we may act like we know, but I think guys like Steven Espinosa who make the decision to be on pay-per-view, they understand how that ratio works. And, um, I think they understand that 70 bucks is reasonable and if you think about it um, you know I, there are fights that have sold millions and millions of pay-per-views and um, those had a hundred a hundred dollar price tag and so this argument that more people order if you lower the price doesn't necessarily ring true and you two both stated about how uh, the studies have shown that a lower price point doesn't make that much of a difference uh, in terms of revenue generated. And that's what it's about. Um, that's the big difference between the, the logic of the UK and the logic here in America, which is we want more money and we don't care how many people buy, just what's going to give us the most money. In the UK, is like, we want as many people to see this uh, as possible, which is the mindset between, uh, the, at least the difference between hosting an Anthony Joshua fight in the UK and hosting the, the, the fight in, in America where there's far, far more money to be generated from fewer people being there. And... You know, if you're a guy who's like, let's just say Deontay Wilder, I can't see him saying, "Oh, let's try it. I'll do it. Let's do a ten dollars pay per view. I'll be that guy." Well, yeah,
2: and es- Espinoza, he talked about that too in some uh, podcasts and other places. He's like, "Well, no one wants to be the experiment to see if they can, because <laughs> if you if you only charge ten or like thirty bucks and you still get the same three hundred thousand, well, you just left like you know whatever." 15 million dollars on the table or more yeah no one no one wants to be the, the guinea pig for that idea
0: you know the, the difference is vast you know it's 15 million like if they did 500,000 buys and if they charge 30 30 bucks that's 15 million but if you do 70 that's 35 that's 20 million dollars you leave on the table by getting yeah. a um uh, getting, and, uh go on
2: I'm well, sorry to cut you off but the thing is because i'm in canada so canada we get charged the same know. price what's that we didn't know. Thanks for telling us. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> jerk off. <laughs> but like I said, it was seventy-five bucks in Canada, so like they don't convert it the currency. And like I'm not sure how it works in Australia, and New Zealand. But when they talk pay-per-view, those are the four regions for that are considered U.S. territory. You know, it's U.S., Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. So they might look at what happens in Canada. When even though like technically we'd be like a fifty dollar pay per view when it's in U S dollars, so they might be looking at that in in for like if like they don't they don't they didn't make me pay a hundred dollars, you know they may pay me seventy five like for the same price even though it's a different currency. You think maybe so that, there's like
0: some psychological well, study that says seventy bucks is like the round number that people will value this at.
2: Well, who knows how they come up with the pricing? Because here's the thing about pay-per-view. Everyone likes to talk about it, but there's extremely few people that know. Like Rick Laser, I know he's a big for certain segment population. He has no clue how pay-per-view works. You know, he's never been involved with it, really, except for one off, one fight. You know, he, he doesn't know anything. No, like, there's so many people that talk about pay-per-view, but most have no clue exactly how much revenue is coming in, where it's coming in from, how they value the fights. You know, because... They do market research. It's not like they just pick the numbers out of the sky, you know. And they have a lot of data behind them. They, they've seen the actual numbers, so I don't know. It, it's easy for people to say, "Oh yeah, put it to 30, because they got no skin in the game. It's 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 a magical yeah, idea your that money. you can always be right, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know.
0: Um, what do you th- so Floyd Mayweather's fight with Tensin Nasukawa is official. Okay, so he's gonna do a. Uh, it's not really a fight, technically. It's an exhibition with boxing rules that'll be December 31st against um Japanese kickboxer Tensen Nasukawa. Um I don't even how should we be covering this? Like it's just an exhibition like for fun basically where people are going to pay a lot of money so that they can see Floyd Mayweather fight. But is it really a fight? It's it there's is. no judges, there's no way to measure who's winning the fight. Um it really, it's just like an exhibition. I, I don't know any other way to call this. Like, how should we view this?
2: It's going to be Mayweather's first loss. He's going to get knocked out. Yeah. I don't know. It's just an exhibition. See, the thing is, uh, we haven't seen this in uh, since Ali. Ali used to do this after he retired. You know, like he'd he'd fought the the enforcer for the Edmonton Oilers up in Edmonton. You know and he finally he was wearing like pants and his shirt. Wait wait, <laughs> you know, like, did they
0: did they fight like in hockey gear?
2: Uh no, no, they they fought in a boxing ring, but it was like against Dave Semenko who was like a big tough guy in the ring. And it was saving a three-round exhibition. You know, Ali comes in, they're all, both wearing street clothes, I remember. I don't know, I've only seen a grainy video of it. But we haven't seen anyone since Ali kind of do these things. I don't know if Sugar Ray did or anything, but you never know. But this is this is what they do. He's, he's world famous. He never fought in Japan, so there's interest there. So he's just making, picking up a couple million bucks, just doing a goofy exhibition. I don't know why people are, get so worked up about this. You know, this is no different than him doing an appearance at a club. It's just, he's trading off his name, making money.
0: Stu's pulled up but, a picture. They, would, Ali was in a tracksuit. Yeah, wearing a pair go. of what appears to be Keds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> This you is know,
2: hilarious. does anyone, does, was, does anyone, like, you don't even know. It also happened. looks like,
1: it also looks like they got a tweaker off the street to ref it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, yeah the, you know. the gloves look like they're 24 ounces.
2: But there's never been any boxer on all these levels until we got to Floyd. So these these exhibitions are they seem bizarre, but this used to happen a lot. You know, guys, you know, it's how they got to make money.
0: Yeah, once you once you can't compete as a professional anymore, you got to make money somehow. Uh, moving <laughs> on, Gennady Golovkin met with PBC officials this week, and he met with them, or sorry, he met with them on the day of the of the fight, the Wilder Fury fight, um, which if you uh, talked to me, uh, you would have known about before it was reported. But anyway, um, Golovkin met with PBC officials without Tom Luffler, and he also met with John Skipper of Dazn in. in, in and, uh, again, without Tom Loeffler, ESPN has also pitched him on an, an idea, on, a, on an offer to come to their network. But the question I have is, do you think it's significant that he's having these meetings with these uh, networks and he's not having them with Tom Loeffler? Uh,
2: I, I never really understood that relationship, even with, like, K2. Like, Loeffler, was he just the front man? Were they, they, I don't think they were ever signed with Loeffler, but sort of. Sort of like how, uh, you know, all the guys work with PBC. They they represent them, but they they're not. Like I don't think a Golovkin or anything were signed. That's why he started making that 360 promotions. You never know what's going on. Like maybe Golovkin, he's just like, because he's hey, if you can cut a guy out and make a bit more percentage, why not? You know, I don't know. That, that, that's one of those things where you really got to be inside to know what's going on. It could be innocent. It could be that Golovkin just doesn't want to use lawfare anymore.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's significant because Tom Loeffler has his 360 promotions and he's trying to get his own uh, promotion off the ground. But if he's cut out of this, if if one of the caveats of a deal with Golovkin was that Loeffler's promotion got time on the network, if that's no longer there, then that's significant for Loeffler because where does that leave him?
2: Oh, yeah, for, for him, for Loeffler, it's, it's very significant. I was thinking more for Golovkin. No, for Loeffler, it's pretty much that's sort of his uh, association with Triple B is his sort of like your pass to get into beer level talks because without Golovkin, it's the same as uh, Oscar and Canelo. You know, Dazen's only offering, like, I don't think they took that deal with Dazen because I'm just guessing that no one else wanted the GPB, you know, Golden Boys. They didn't want the stable. They just wanted Canelo. But Dazen said, hey, we'll give you 10 and which is what they gave. And I don't think anyone was willing to give uh, golden Boy. So that's sort of the thing with Loffler not being involved in the talks. It's bad for Loeffler, but, you know, boo-hoo, he's a promoter. Screw him.
0: Yeah, I mean, what do you think the best move for Golovkin's career is at this stage? Stu, I-
2: any input?
3: Um,
1: really, like, obviously, the best move would be fighting Canelo, but with Eddie Heron saying, it has to happen in days in, and Love can not really wanting to sign with Days and by the looks. sign. It's really I doubt that happens anytime soon. And out with that, you know, there's a few guys, you know, he can fight Charlo, could maybe fight uh someone like Jacobs, maybe even a Billy Joe Saunders. There's a few fights that make him decent money, but at the end of the day the goal for the biggest money would be to make it a trilogy with Canelo. I
0: I think that Dazen is obviously the best move for Golovkin at this point in his career. But I think there's a a caveat that nobody's talking about. He has to beat Canelo. Like, if he goes and just winds up losing to Canelo. Let's say he signs with them in his first fight this May is a rematch with Canelo. And they draw. Or he loses. Or he just uh, doesn't even fight Canelo and just sides with Dazen and they never fight again. What happens to Golovkin? Like, what is there to do? When we're talking about this, we want to look at the exclusive fights that Dazen can offer. Because he could fight Saunders anywhere. At the, Based off of what we know, Jacobs is no longer signed to Eddie Hearn. The deal's up. So, Jacobs is a free agent. That fight could happen anywhere. So, what are the exclusive fights that are available for Golovkin over on Dazen? Outside of Canelo, there isn't one. I can't think of, of it like Son, uh, Sorry, not Saunders, Andrade, that I don't think that that's enough. And I don't think that even beating Andrade gives Golovkin much. So I, I think Dazen is only a good move if he gets to fight Canelo. If he doesn't get to fight Canelo, Dazen's a bad move for him in, at, at this stage in his career. And he'll just go unnoticed. He'll basically end his career fighting on a platform that very few people have gotten on board with. And be sure not to twist my words here. I'm not saying that Dazen's a failure. I'm just saying at this point, it's not taken off. There's not a ton of subscriptions. So, so you're not going to have millions of people watching Golovkin fight and uh, you know, beat these guys who are not Canelo. Right now, it's just, that's just not the case. And it's very likely that if he doesn't fight Canelo, doesn't beat Canelo, Golovkin just fades away. And so if he's interested in his legacy, I think there might be a a better shot for him trying to fight Charlo or even going over to ESPN and seeing if he could drag Saunders into a fight. And you, you couple that with beating Rob Brandt and now Golovkin's got two belts at middleweight that he didn't have prior to, or didn't have coming out of this Canelo fight because obviously he lost. So um, any, any counter to that guys? No, I
2: kind of agree with that because that's the thing, you know, this is, whatever deal he's making, like his career is coming to an end, you know, and I think he already lost twice to Canelo. So sure. He can do a trilogy, but w- what's that going to get him? You know, it, 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 how much is Dazin going to offer him to fight Canelo? You know, cause I, I, I don't see them signing up like 10 million people, you know, just to see that fight, but you never know. So, so it is. And if, if he signs with Dazin, loses with Canelo again, then he just fades completely out of view you know ESPN plus anything Showtime Fox that's gonna keep him around it those fights even if he doesn't fight Carlo or something it's going to give him a shot to sort of go out in the spotlight and i just think days in, he's just going to fade from public you know memory because it can happen quick you know and that's where people also involved with the boxing don't realize how f- quickly the public moves on like a German we remember him, but a lot of the public has already forgotten who he is.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, Let's move on. The World Boxing Super Series is very close to being cancelled. This was reported by Mike Coppinger. Um, He said that there are fighters from the first round that still haven't been paid. And um, do you think that this is going to hurt these fighters who agree to be in the tournament if they cancel it?
2: It only hurts them if they haven't been paid. (laughs) But as far as cancelling, this thing wasn't doing anything for them you know like I, I know there's some guys in the boxing world that think it's the most brilliant thing ever, but who they had no u.s deal it wasn't even Usyk got a lot but Usyk wasn't even supposed to be in it last year you know he was sort of a wild card that came in at the end so it, it's to me this 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 thing has always looked shady like i don't know where they were coming up with this money they're they're paying guys who you can't really draw the, like a ten million dollar first prize. And now you say hey, like, well, guys from the first round aren't even getting their money. So it's just not going to damage their careers because I don't think anyone was paying attention to these fights.
0: Yeah. I think um, there was very little attention that it drew. Now, hardcore boxing fans and especially in that bubble of the hardcore boxing fan, it may seem like this is a big deal, but I have Casual boxing friends that have no clue what the World Boxing Super Series is, and they would consider themselves boxing fans and they don't even know. I don't think this is going to hurt them. Like, you know, the, the, the argument against this is like, who knows Usyk in the United States? If you talk to casual boxing fans, ask them if they know who Oleksandr Usyk is. Most of the time, they don't know. And that's because the World Boxing Super Series just didn't do that. Now, internationally, it may have been good. In the UK, it may have been good. But here, it didn't do much. And um, if you get canceled, I, I don't think it's going to hurt. I mean, look at the Bantamweight tournament. Burnett's injured. Tete's incredibly boring. Nobody is clamoring for the Donaire in a way fight. Um, it, 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 that tournament was just kind of screwed. Uh, the pro gray fight uh, with Josh Taylor will happen whether they have the tournament or not, I believe. And both guys can, ha- there are more interesting fights for those guys anyway, because of the amount of guys that didn't join the tournament. And, The Cruiserweight Tournament is a waste of time. So I think we can move on from that because I would like to talk about... We're going to skip over this part because we're going long. Um, We're going to jump right into Canelo versus Rocky Fielding. Canelo's 50-1 with two draws. He's the current middleweight champion. He's coming off a big win over Gennady Golovkin after two very close fights. Rocky Fielding, 27-1, 15 knockouts. He's a WBA super middleweight title holder. He is coming off a stoppage win over Tyron Zuge to win that title that he holds. I think most people know Rocky Fielding because he was knocked out in one round by Callum Smith. So why should fans be excited for this fight?
2: Stu's a big Fielding fan, so he could probably give you
0: that. <laughs> yeah, Stu, go for it. Give us the Fielding pitch. The Fielding pitch? It's not
1: what I bought in for. Um, I don't know. You know, Fielding, he's quite big. It's just about all he has against Canelo. But I think the most interesting thing about the fight will be just seeing how Canelo carries the weight up to one six, one six eight. He It's just how he looks, how much power does he carry over, because obviously he was quite a small guy, even at 160. So seeing how he gains those extra eight pounds, how he looks against quite a big guy in Rocky Fielding, and does he... He have a future in the division, which I don't think he does. But, you know, it's interesting to see how he does and if he can win one of the major titles in
0: the division. I think that you touched on some of the things that I was going to touch on. Um, But so I'll just say that you're right. I think the thing to look for in this fight, like what to be excited about is that Canelo might deliver a big knockout. Fielding isn't very good. I don't care what you say. Fielding isn't very good. And Canelo's going to have an opportunity to either sharpshoot like we've never seen him, or he's just going to knock this guy out. And the the thing is, if Canelo feels comfortable here, this is huge. Because while in the present day we do see some success from Mexican fighters at 168, but Gilberto Ramirez and Jose Benavides have—or, sorry, David Benavides have yet to show how good they actually are and if they will be remembered, you know, past next year. But if Canelo can go to 168 and start a legacy there. Um historically me- Mexicans don't do well above middleweight and there aren't very many that I can think of who were who excelled in those divisions. Fred, you might maybe you can think of one or maybe you'll tell me I'm right. But if if Canelo could have a little run at 168, that I think that would be huge um w- w- what's your response to that
2: no I, I think it's yeah the curiosity factor is really the the draw of this fight and you're right that uh, i don't think there were a lot of mexicans at the higher weight levels. it's usually guys from south america you know where you usually find the middleweights or people in that division but not so much mexican so it, yeah you make a really good point for this fight because if canelo can go to 168 well then he can sort of uh Come out of the shadow of the guys like Julio Cesar Chavez or some of the you know, more older legendary Mexican fighters. He could sort of really put a stamp on Mexican boxing if if he can go to one sixty eight and do something beyond this fight, which everyone sees as an easy Canelo win. But you never know. Like I said, it's it's Canelo's not a tall guy. It's not like he's a five eleven guy going up to one sixty eight. He's like barely five nine. So okay, he's literally he,
0: barely five nine.
2: Yeah, yeah, like he's what. Yeah. we'll give him five nine but i don't think he's there but but i like, think he's a small guy he's stocky but it's interesting like i'm not gonna who knows this could be a one-off but if it isn't then then it becomes really interesting what he does on days that maybe you know, they can come up with the goofier fights but yeah i, I don't know i, I, I got the, yeah you you made the points about why it's interesting otherwise it's you know rocky fielding like it, it's just it's just it came out of nowhere and it still doesn't make sense to me you know, like what is going on? Why they wanted to do this? Like, it, where they? I guess maybe they owed him a fight, or they wanted him a second fight. In you know, but like Rocky Fielding, like the uh, people even in the UK even know who he is. It's I don't know. It's
1: Stu. He, he doesn't have casual appeal in the UK. So he's most no. He's most known here being knocked out by Callum Smith as well. But nobody knows who Callum Smith is. Yeah, it's also. true. <laughs> which shows how few people know Rocky Fielding.
0: What's the expectation for Canelo in this fight? Like, what should, if if we don't see this, should we, like, we are, I guess how I'm trying to ask this is like, okay, does Canelo have to knock this guy out in order for people to be happy?
2: Yeah, I think he has to have sort of like a, a JCC Jr. type of victory, where if people are expecting him to blow through this guy, and if he doesn't, then they're going to start sniping at Canelo because he's are still mad because he beat Golovkin again. So, you know, he he has to he has to have a dominant win. You know, that's what people are expecting. Anything less, and then they're gonna they're gonna turn it on Canelo.
0: I I think that's true. You know, bringing up the point of like Canelo's been a bit of a polarizing figure over the past few years, specifically um, with the Golovkin decisions. Uh, so Canelo does have to be. ...dominant in this fight. There's no question about it. I think most people have written off Rocky Fielding. um, Whether it's appropriate or not. Because the weight may be a legitimate thing. Like we talked about with Lomachenko earlier. this Canelo could... Middleweight could be his limit. And then we could see uh, a very flat performance. We could see a lot of things. um, But I think the expectation is that Canelo's dominant. And there's... I, I, I wouldn't be shocked, though, if there was some struggle... And on Sunday next week, we're saying Canelo needs to go back down to middleweight and, and never go to 168 again. Um, this is a brand new venture for Canelo. What would be considered a successful event this Saturday? Like how do we classify that?
2: Uh, if Dazen can run it without their system collapsing with offering.
0: Do you <laughs> think that many people would sign up?
2: I, I think a lot of people will sign up because Canelo is obviously popular, you know? So I think we'll check it out if, but I don't know how the marketing's going, you know, like, so I have no idea how this is, uh, how this being receptive, you know, if Canelo fans are even interested in this or if they even know about it. You know, so
0: I, think uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> I, I think, um,
0: uh, you know, I struggle with buffering with Dazen sometimes, so like, I'm, know what you're talking about. Uh, they, I think they the platform has struggled with smaller cards. Um, so I really, really hope that it's it's good because I'm going to be very angry if the Canelo fight starts to buffer um, during the middle of the fight. And if they have a lot of people who who join, it's very likely that they could. But what we've seen is they don't need a lot of people to join. They just need people watching, and it seems like this, the system will buffer. So I, I think definitely that's one way to define it. I think they need a big gate. There's still a lot of tickets available, and we know that that doesn't mean that the the event is in bad shape, but there are still tickets available to buy. Uh, So if you're in New York, you should probably go do that if you got the money to do that. Um, Or save it for the Charlo fight next week. Do what you like. I don't care. Um, But I do think that they need a big gate to kind of – there's no pay-per-view money anymore. So how are you going to generate that extra money, Uh, the live gate? What should be the plan for Canelo if he wins the fight going forward? I, I, I think he's got to find an interesting fight. Um, at this point, without interesting fights, without fights that the the public is going to talk about a lot, and you know there are these matchups that we talk about a lot, like Spencer's Garcia on paper is a mismatch, but for some reason, people keep talking about it. There are so, so many talking points there. And Canelo needs a fight like that. He needs interesting fights, and um, without an interesting fight that captures the imagination of people, I think it's going to be really hard to convince people to go out of their way to sign up for this service, um, to pay nine ninety nine a month for a, a service to watch fo- uh, his fights. Uh, without, when there are alternatives that are maybe either better or at least cheaper on ESPN or Fox, and you know, this isn't like pick or choose, right? Like You don't have to only subscribe to ESPN and not Dazen. That's not what I'm saying. But I think a lot of people will weigh that stuff. And I think Canelo needs these interesting fights because the platform is going to lend itself to not being part of the spotlight because so few people at this point in time have a subscription to Dazen. Uh So that's the problem I think Canelo is going to run into. Um, what do you think? Uh, I will- Oh, sorry Go ahead. Go, ahead. Go ahead. I don't
1: think many interesting fights that canelo can make on days and at middleweight or at super middleweight now with Danny Jacobs gone that's not uh, no longer able to happen on daysison likely there's the Andrade fight but is that interesting and then it super middleweight you know azerdo fight fight would be obviously pick up a lot of interest in Mexican communities but I don't think Bob would let that happen and as category is he's been kind of he's fighting in a big fox card coming up so really at super middleweight the only interesting fight would be Callum Smith and Callum Smith is a very big super middleweight and I think that it's not a fight that Canelo would really want from a fighter's perspective just because it's so big and it would Canelo was obviously infinitely more skilled than him, but he would struggle just because Callum Smith would have you know ten, fifteen pounds, maybe he's going as far as twenty pounds on Canelo in that fight, and it, it wouldn't look good for Canelo.
0: Well, Callum Smith is six four, Canelo is five nine at best. So just that alone is like a huge height advantage for Callum Smith. I mean, just punching up all night. Could make Canelo gas in that fight, but that's an interesting fight. It's a freak show fight, and I think that's one of the fights that if Canelo's going to maintain relevance on on days in, um, that's one of the fights that maybe you have to make. Um, and, and it's not to say you were right. Canelo is way um, more talented than 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 Callum Smith. Canelo's one of the. You could probably say Canelo's one of the five most talented fighters on the planet right now. But that doesn't mean that you win every single fight. You know, size comes in and is is a brutal thing at times. And I think that's something that Canelo would run into. Um, What about you, Fred? Yeah, even without
2: David, I don't know what interest fights are out there for Canelo at all. Like he's – he's people, like I said, again, against Golovkin, it's like people talk as if Canelo was the bigger fighter just because he makes the most money. And so he can't really go up like he said. Smith, he's he's massively oversized there. Even though he has more skills, it's like it, at some point, like this is not like going from one thirty 130 to one thirty-five. You know, these, these are really big guys that the physics plays a lot more important roles in these lower weight divisions. But even for Canelo, because he doesn't sell fights, and that's why he took this deal with Dason, You could see it this year; he's not interested in pushing fights. So it's going to be really tough to get anyone interested if because he's not interested in promotion. He likes being Canelo got the mexican fans so like everyone he sees in mexico or you know mexican communities they worship him but so he doesn't care about really reaching out to any other anybody else so he's not gonna be able to take these like set like an andrade fight and get any for that you know yeah. it might be interesting to watch but it's not going to be interesting on like he's not going to be able to sell a fight like floyd to sell a fight and floyd was one of the best because he took a lot of guys who like the madonna fights you know Floyd they might say oh Floyd didn't do over a million but would anyone else come anywhere close to that fight me down on, on pay per view you know so it, it Canelo doesn't have that kind of salesmanship Canelo's popular but he's not going to work to promote a fight and that's what he really needs because who's out there for him charlo but he's not going to fight charlo you know they know that that's that's too tough of a fight when Canelo's looking at 35 million It's not that Canelo is, you know, scared or anything, but that's just not going to happen, especially with the way, you know, Oscar's history with payment,
0: and those guys. Now, what happens if Dazen doesn't want to fork out the money that Canelo's opponents want?
2: Well, that's a big thing. It's like, how is this structured without the pay-per-view upside? You don't know how much, like, I, I have no idea how they're going to run promotions, which it seems kind of weird to say, but it's like, how much are they actually giving towards the event itself? Because there's Canelo's money, but Canelo's money is guaranteed for him, whatever the levels are. Like is it they reported $35 million per for this Rocky Fielding, supposedly uh, $15 million or something, so it's not really part of the 10-fight deal that he's got with Dace. but no one knows. A lot of these guys, they like the trumpet numbers, but when it comes down to it, there's always certain clauses, like, depending on who they fight or how much support there is. So without, like, we don't know. we, Dazen's never done this before, so.
0: Yeah, that's what I was wondering, like, and, and let's just say that Dazen's like, okay, we can only afford, like, a million and a half to fight Canelo. And there's no more upside where you could say, all right, we're going to give you a million dollars for the fight, but you're going to get a percentage, Of the pay-per-view. We'll give you like 2.5% or whatever. I don't know. Of the pay-per-view. And then that's no longer there. So what's the upside of fighting Canelo? Especially if if it's not that interesting of a fight. If you know you're going to lose that fight. It's kind of tough. And I wonder what what kind of matchmaking we get. Um, Because look. He's got a 10 fight, 11 fight deal with Dazen. Okay. There's going to be some bad fights in there. Not every fight can be Gennady Golovkin. There aren't 10 Gennady Golovkin sitting around. Not even 5 of them. So what what does that look like when, we're, when we see him against fighters that aren't that interesting um, in terms of competitiveness? Uh, I, I wonder about that.
2: Yeah, and you could see like the promo for the fights on Dazen I've caught. They're more selling Dazen than they are selling Fielding and Canelo. It's all about Rocky was at the Usyk Be- or, uh, Usyk-Belu fight, I guess. That was on Dazen. Yes. There, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's, it's like Canelo watching his brother get abused by Rios. <laughs> you know, it, it seemed like they spent more time pushing in rather than pushing Canelo. So if that's, they're going to have to keep doing that every time because it's like, well, we got to sell to the Canelo fans. We don't want them to go away. Yeah. So that becomes where they're going to put all their focus in. Like, if, if you're your Canelo fan, are, are you really going to stick around to watch a match from USA cards? You're yeah. not. It's, it's, they're going to sign up two months out of the year because that's when Canelo will fight, and then they'll probably cancel. So that's that's what days is really fighting. So it's like, well, how do you prepare for that? You know, if, if you are an opponent, exactly, it's like, where is your upside for taking a Canelo fight other than just beating Canelo? but if you beat him on a platform where no one's really watching? What's the benefit of that? And we saw this a bit because uh, Showtime did this back when they signed Tyson. You know, it's like they had Mike Tyson and they spent all their money on Tyson. And you know, the rest of their fighters sort of never really moved the needle. And they sort of just vanished, you know, because people were just coming and watching for Tyson.
0: Yep. Um, let's just get off of this for a sec so we can keep moving. Um, next week, so next Sunday, December 16th, who will we say had a better fight against Canelo? Rocky Fielding or Julio Cesar Chavez Jr.?
3: <laughs> Stu? <laughs>
0: I I think it's tough to look worse than
1: Chavez Jr. did. If Rocky Fielding manages to look worse, I'd respect him for that because he must look very bad then. Well, look, if anyone can do
0: it, I think it's Rocky Fielding.
2: It's true. He's up to the challenge. (laughs) What do you think, Fred? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know who Rocky Fielding is. You know, I've watched him get knocked out, but I never watched him before. So, (laughs) I don't know. Like The thing is, Julio Cesar Chavez, he had that upside. He got a lot of money, you know, trading off his name and everything. But it's, I don't know. I, I think Fielding has to survive, which he might not be able to do.
0: Yeah, I, that's the thing. I don't think Fielding will survive all 12 rounds. I don't think um, he's, I, we've known Chavez Jr. has a legit chin that runs in the family. Yeah. Does that run in Fielding's family? I don't think so. Uh, let's move on. Tevin Farmer will fight Francisco Fonseca. Farmer 24, 4, and 1, six knockouts. IBF super featherweight champion. He's coming off of a stoppage win, a, a, a shocking stoppage win over James Tennyson. Um, and then Francisco Fonseca, 22, 1, and 1, 16 knockouts. His claim to fame is that he got stopped by Javante Davis, who didn't even train for that fight um Stu says he says to me in the chat that he has uh jokes about chavez jr so just slip them in whenever you want but we're gonna keep talking um what is a realistic expectation for this fight specifically what do you think we should expect from tevin farmer i think tevin farmer needs to completely outbox this guy um the farmer is a guy that is on the cusp of entering into the conversation of one of uh, amongst the really good fighters in the sport like really really good and he's almost there. And you can't fight a guy like Francisco Fonseca who who just isn't that good and let him be in the fight. And then I think it's also hilarious that yesterday, Jono Carroll, who fought on the Dazin card on the Kelbrook undercard, he uh, talked a lot of trash about Tevin Farmer, said that he doesn't respect him. But if he met him and Farmer gave him respect, then, then he would respect him back. But um, talked a lot of trash about Farmer, said he'd beat him up, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Joan O'Carroll could not even beat the French guy that he was fighting, who nobody had ever heard of. They fought to a draw, so he won't be the mandatory for Tevin Farmer, which looked like a, n- a natural opponent that Eddie Hearn was building for Tevin Farmer. That's not the case. Um, but Farmer needs to completely outbox this guy. No questions about it. I'm um, uh, Looking at your notes, Fred, and I don't think that you know who Fonseca is. Um, oh, wait. No, never mind. Never mind. I see, I see. I don't think
2: he knows who Fonseca or Farmer is. <laughs> no, when you first asked it, I, I got him confused with Robert Easter Jr. But then I remember Farmer's a guy that's been yelling at uh, Gervonta on Twitter yeah, for yeah, like yeah. I don't know for years or something. So that's I, I remember I actually watched that fight on days, Inn and that was everyone was surprised that he got the big knockout because he doesn't really have knockout power. So it, I I don't know. Yeah, he has to box this guy. Is Fonseca the guy that was uh, fought Davis on the McGregor yes. fight? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, come on. he just,
0: That was supposed to be... <laughs> he was, he, he was sick that week of the fight. He was sick, so we're going to leave it at that. Um, well, that, that the was the mu- thing
2: uh, no, I want to go on that because Floyd gave him that. Floyd knew that fight was going to be monumental, and he gave Davis that platform for a complete showcase fight, and uh, Davis dropped the ball on that one. But Fonseca is like, I don't know, Tevin Fireman, he's got to just clear that guy, out. especially if, like, it's going to be difficult to get a Davis fight, especially with the and thing, but if he wants one, he's got to show that he can completely outclass this guy, and then he could say, hey, you know, I slapped this guy around that you were struggling with, you know, that you should have been blown out, but that's what's going to happen in this fight.
0: Okay. Um, David Lemieux versus Toriano Johnson, also on the undercard. Lemieux, 40-4 and four with 34 knockouts. He's coming off of a first-round knockout win over Spikes O'Sullivan. Um, Toriano Johnson, 20-2, 14 knockouts. He hasn't fought in over a year. And when he did last fight, he got stopped by Sergey Derevyanchenko. Um, both times that he's been stopped or both of his losses were stoppage losses. He also was stopped by Curtis Stevens. Um, do you think if David Lemieux scores a big knockout over Toriano Johnson, that he's going to get a fight with Canelo? I think the answer is unequivocally yes. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not like, as we
1: discussed, Canelo doesn't have many potential opponents. So they're going to take everybody that they can get, and David Lemieux is definitely one of them.
0: This is also one of the arguments that I think against um, Golovkin going to Dazen is that there's guys like Lemieux who are viable opponents at middleweight, but Golovkin's already shown these guys are nowhere near as good as him. But uh, Fred, what do you think?
2: Well, this fight's kind of interesting, I guess. Not that you know, I cared about before, but both of these guys, <laughs> whenever they step up, they get cleaned out. You know, they're they're not like I. I this David Lemieux, I know he's got hands or anything, but I've I, he's shown his issues years ago, like years and years ago. He showed what the problem is, so he probably will get a Canelo fight because like if he can win it, because they've been dang that one forever. But Lemieux kept losing, you know, when he was supposed to get like when he was supposed to impress. So they'll do it because like exactly what what else does golden boy have i have no idea i don't see any roadmap for canelo and that's a weird thing so why not why not put him in but he's got to impress because both you know he, if he stumbles here then ugh, it's pretty much over
0: um Stu, you want to jump in or were you did you already say what you had to say
2: i, thought, I said everyone said it.
0: all right good talk Gilberto Ramirez will fight Jesse Hart just the day before on Friday night, this card. Gilberto Ramirez, 38-0, 25 knockouts. He is the current WBO super middleweight champion. He's coming off of wins over esteemed fighters like Romer Angulo and Habib Ahmed. Jesse Hart, 25-1, 21 knockouts. Since losing to Ramirez, um, Hart stopped his last three opponents. So the question is, if... Gilberto Ramirez beats Jesse Hart, does that show how good he really is? And my response to that is no. I think Ramirez has to do more. I think Ramirez has shown enough flaws that it's a little troubling, and staying inside of the top rank stable is not going to do it. Um, I think if, if there's anybody exposing the business of top ranks matchmaking brilliance, it's Ramirez because it seems like he's being lined up and he's fought so many of these opponents. I mean, at 38-0, and he's fought so many of these guys that are supposed to establish him as good, and it's not really working. Um, Ramirez doesn't look like he's the best at 168. Um, he did look good as a prospect, but he hasn't really done too much as, as a, a world champion. And so I, I think he's got to do more than beat Jesse Hart. Beating Jesse Hart is certainly a start, and if he's dominant over Jesse Hart without, you know, losing a bunch of rounds. I think it'll show that he's growing as a fighter, but I think Ramirez needs to break out of the top-rank uh, shell, uh, or the bubble, rather, of, like, these in-house opponents and really, like, find someone outside and beat them. And then we can start saying Gilberto Ramirez is a really good fighter. But I don't think we can say that yet. What do you think, Fred?
2: Yeah, like, he beat the guy already, so beats him again, does it really make a statement? You know, not really. And you've seen these in the past, especially these middleweight, super middleweight. They're really tough divisions to find big fights. You know, you you can go throughout history and it's always kind of you'll see these things where they they fight the same guys again and again and again, just because there's no one really out there that even earn our interest. It's really tough to build a strong division at super middleweight, I've always felt. Like, it, you had it for a while, I guess, uh, but it was mostly Europeans, you know, and those Europeans weren't really good because then Andre Ward comes around and beats him up, <laughs> you know? So, so so I don't think it says anything, but you're right. He has to break out or they have to figure something out and it's going to be really, really tough with this division. Yeah, it's,
0: it's really tough because uh, all the, the networks have their own little stable of 168 uh, guys. Um, PBC has... You know, Kayla Plant, Jose Escadigui, uh Anthony Durrell. They've got guys at 168. Uh, Dazen has their guys with um, Callum and Canelo and Rocky Fielding and whoever else. Eddie's got lined up at 168. And then there's uh, ESPN, and they've got Gilberto Ramirez and Jesse Hart. And really, that like I can't think of anyone else.
2: Well, and this is the this is where you really see the problem with everyone being split off into these own networks, because none of these guys really command a lot of money that would be tough to make fights, but because everyone's sort of in their own camps now, and especially they're going to want to keep it that way until they really feel the need to do cross-promotion. So you're not going to, you're not going to much. I don't think he's going to have a fight that you're going to see anything until they, they might get, as you know,
0: yeah, I agree with that. Anything uh, for you, Stu? Well, the the only guy who
1: really isn't signed with one of the major networks right now in that division is Benavides, and there was that whole thing where Benavidez he returned PBC, a bonus. Brother? Is he with PBC? Yeah, he did, Well, I just I just remembered um the thing where he paid. He just, he's just been his, out with an injury. He had a nose injury. That was ages ago. It was ages ago. It was about a year ago when the top rank tried to sign him and they paid. They, he ended up paying his bonus back, didn't
0: he? Yeah, they tried to, to steal him away but obviously you can't exactly yeah. do that when you're under contract.
2: Yeah, sometimes you you yeah. got to sort of tell people you're under contract.
0: Yeah, but any final thoughts on this Canelo card for next week? Is there
2: anyone else that matters on it? I have even
0: Saddam Ali versus Mauricio please, oh, Herrera.
2: Mauricio Herrera.
0: Yeah, Saddam Ali versus Mauricio Herrera.
2: That'll be funny if Herrera beats him
0: too. Uh I, I I don't
2: know. Yeah, it's Canelo. You know, like I said, Canelo's gonna do what he does. Hopefully. He's gotta. <laughs> if he loses the fielding, that'd be the greatest. <laughs> Just to of a point of comedy. Oh
0: god, if he lost to fielding, I would be very unhappy. Um very, very unhappy. I, oh my I think God.
2: He's, he's too skilled. I think I think even with even with the size difference, cause there is a you know like, there is a size difference, but Canel's I think he's got enough skills to.
0: I think he's gonna uh, knock him uh, out. Uh, like I, I think we got Amir Khan 2.0 coming.
2: I I'm at the point where I I'm not gonna make any predictions on a lot of these fighters because uh, there's a lot of these fights to me that make no sense to me why they're being made where they stick out like. This this Canelo fights exactly. Like, why is he fighting fielding? Why is he fighting in Madison Square Garden? Why is he fighting so quick after you know he got cut in that eye? It just it's, it's it's just something off and I don't know what Oscar's doing and I don't think Oscar knows what he's doing. But you know, they got a lot of money for this fight. Whatever. Yeah.
0: Well, we'll talk a, a little bit once we stop recording about conspiracy theories about what is actually going on with Canelo. But that will be a different podcast. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank Stu and Fred for coming on. Uh, again, congratulations to Tom on having a child um, and becoming a responsible adult with, you know, things to be responsible for in life. I don't think us three can say that. So that's why we're recording this podcast.
2: Yeah. Uh, send all your hate comments towards uh, Angelo when for all my HBO bashings. So.
0: Okay. Well, they I, I usually get it anyway. Stu, any last words? No. <laughs> yeah,
2: close, strong, Stu. Not even tears for the end. HBO. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Get a couple. Of, come on. Pull a lamply. I got close. them out.
1: I got them out and Saturday.
2: <laughs> yeah. You got to close big, just like lamps. Come on. Swat,
0: tick, All right, guys. Till next week. Any girl, let's
3: play, let's, play, let's play. And you can show me what that's about, let's go, let's girl. Go. Nobody.